Digital marketing seems to be the mystery that most entrepreneurs struggle with, and real estate investors are no exception. The truth is, there are multiple avenues to success. Those experiences will be best shared by the guests on this podcast. My name is Jason Wright, and I would like to welcome you to Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories. What's going on, Jason Wright here. Welcome to episode number 12 of the podcast. And as usual, we have a great guest this week on the show, on this episode. But before we get into that, I'm going to share something with you I bet you can relate to. So as you know, my main company, Intentionally Inspirational, does simplified active campaign sales funnels for savvy real estate investors, right? I target active investors on the daily. Well, once I finish working on this podcast and do a couple other small things, I'm actually done working in this business for the day, and I'm switching my attention over to my other company, Wind River Equity Partners, because it's time for me to get my fund set up and paid for. It's time for me to finish building out the back end of my own funnel, which is different than what I sell to everybody else. That's how I am. I'm one of these people that never stop tweaking and improving. So I am uh, making some adjustments and I've got to write a bunch of custom copy for myself, but all fun stuff, all things I enjoy. If you've ever seen my emails or texts or landing pages, you probably know I'm at least decent at writing copy. So if you are an investor and you're like, man, I know what I need to do. I just haven't done it. It's a lot of work. I get it, my friends. I'm in the same boat as you. So uh, we're going to get our first newsletter out today. There's lots to talk about, right, with all the crazy stuff happening with banks and stock market and all that. Uh, we'll get our first newsletter out today. I've got a, I'm a custom automation for myself that I'm testing on my own business to get set up, and I'm going to get this fund created and paid for. So all kinds of good stuff. One thing I always remember, and you know, with this company, with the new company, our social media presence isn't established like it is for Intentionally Inspirational. You're comparing a five-month-old company to a seven-and-a-half-year-old company. The one good thing is they both have me. I exist as an entrepreneur online. I've been doing this for a while. So the beauty of creating two companies that cross-pollinate one another, it's not a bad plan, my friends. Not a bad plan. So I'm sure as these shows go on, I'll have some uh, some wins and losses to share on that side of things as well. And I never have any problem sharing the losses. It makes me authentic and real, and it seems like everybody online talks about their wins in marketing, but few people share their losses. I will tell you, I fail weekly. I fail all the time. All the time. But you know what? Like I teach my kids and I tell my close friends and my clients, failure is the litmus test that reminds you that you're taking action. Anyway, this week I am speaking to Sakar Cowley of Premium Cashflow Capital. What a cool guy this is. Tons of experience in real estate, 20 years plus. Started in single family. And most people seem to start there and then go to multifamily and don't go back. This gentleman is the exception. I believe to, to date, he's still maintaining about 200 rentals kind of in that single family niche, uh, in addition to a whole bunch of stuff in multifamily. So 
I don't hear that often, but the guy is crushing it in, in kind of all phases of things. Now, finally, he's a host of his own podcast, which is called the Premium Cash Flow Podcast. Appropriately so. All right, let's get into my conversation with Sakar. Hey, Sakar, welcome to the show, man. Glad to have you. Glad to be here, Jason. Thank you for having me. <laughs> yeah, no problem at all. So I do not know this story about you. Uh, love to hear how you got started on this journey of real estate investing. Absolutely. So uh, Sakar Kaulay, uh, I've been investing about 20 to 23 years now. Uh, I guess just feels like sometimes yesterday that you got started. Uh, that's how excited I'm always about, you know, doing different things in real estate. But the Cliff Notes version of me myself is that I got laid off back in 2000 and, you know, engineer by background and through my sort of family, we always had real estate. So I came here for my MS education. And once I got laid off, I turned to saying, hey, how can I do real estate and provide a shorty in my uh, life? And that ended up being looking into you know, just like modest cash flowing rentals. Mm -hmm. And coupled with my uh, job in Baltimore, I started buying, you know, small townhouses and small single family houses, things like that. And quickly discovered that there's a great pathway to cash flow and just having confidence and don't have to depend on your job and things like that. And as we all know, like, you know, once you get to a certain level in your corporate ladder, I think you hit that plateau very quickly. But with real estate, the nice thing is that you can literally scale to infinity. How It, it all depends on what you want. Yep. And so just, you know, we multiplied. And when I say me, I, I always have great help from my wife. We are equal partners in terms of doing everything, sharing and all that. Right. Uh, so we scaled it up all the way up to about almost close to 200 houses and some duplexes here and there. And this is all no partners, just us just doing all of this, having in-house property management, construction, and all of that. And way back in 2000, sort of 16, 17 timeframe, I was starting to buy much bigger deals of, uh, you know, let's say 44 units, 66 units, or, you know, like larger apartments, or like, you know, 10 unit buildings, things like that. And I quickly discovered that the more you do this, you obviously run out of cash and things yeah. like that. And that's when I turned to syndications, you know, like uh, multifamily syndications. And the interesting thing about it also is that in syndications, as we all know, it's very different than investing in your backyard, like in your single family and things like that. You really are following the science of demographics, job growth and things of that nature. And all of that pursuit turned into, boy, I need to really follow this methodically and things like that. And that led to this whole journey of learning exactly how it works, what are the best areas and things like that. And obviously we'll get into it. But over the years now, we've invested well over 6,000 doors, crossing well over 700 millions worth of uh, AUM across various assets and multiple states for sure, you know. Yep. Wow, that's awesome, man. So do you guys uh, still have any single family units kind of in your portfolio? 
We do, we do. So I still have well over 100 single family and some uh, duplexes at this point. The idea is to slowly exit out in the next couple of years and fully transition into just strictly multifamily. And, you know, like the interesting thing about my portfolio always is that we always renovated these. So it's not like, hey, I have, you know, too many headaches in terms of, hey, tenants calling and things like that. Yeah. We are a very, you know, quiet, organized operation and things like that. So there are no sort of misgivings about that. But at the same time, you know, you feel that, hey, it's better to, you know, sort of release that equity, invest into, uh, you know, multifamily and just go bigger, better, you know. Yeah. So that's the motivation. But again, single family just done quite a lot for sure. I mean, it's a terrific vehicle. Uh, it can prove a lot of good to a lot of people as well. And And as you know, like there are, I think, a lot more investors who are into single family doing wholesaling flips or buy and hold, things like that. So there's nothing wrong in any medium as such. It just depends on, you know, what someone wants to do perhaps, you know. Yeah, that's well said. I have a, a couple of friends or people I've met that try to do flips or they they try to rent out single family. They might have like two or three, right? But mm -hmm. what they don't do is they don't renovate and they, they get these pieces of junk and it's nothing but headaches and they're the property managers. And I'm like, none of that makes any sense, you know? It's like, that sounds crazy, but when you hear it the way that you've done it, it actually sounds like it makes a hell of a lot of sense. So I like that. Yeah. I mean, you know, through the years, you know, I can always say, Jason, that the failure of landlords in general is sort of people management, right? And yeah. what that, or tenant management, and what that turns into is that if your house is not correct, as you're alluding to, you're going to have problems, you know, and then you get into tenant dissatisfaction, contractors do not want to work, or you have insurance or lender issues that things are not. So it can really cascade into it. Yeah. But the most successful people that I have done is that do the work right up front, you know, and where I am in the Baltimore vicinity, the housing stock is old, like from the 1930s, 40s, things like that. Yeah. So you have no choice but to completely like upgrade and not only upgrade, sometimes you have to open the walls and things like that and make those open layouts. And so upgrading is one thing, but making them functional in the modern way, I like how we like the open layouts and things like that. It's still a rental house, you know, you're still not going overboard in terms of what you're doing but you know by the time you do like refinish basements new kitchens bathrooms things like that you're spending quite a lot and still you're able to handsomely cash flow i think it's incredible it's a great vehicle provided that someone is doing the uh, work and you know stacking the dominoes correctly you know yeah i like that good stuff um so you've kind of got into this a bit now but like at this point with your business what asset classes and or markets are you focused on and why? Right. So coming back from where we were, so I always like to stay within multifamily, although storage does appeal a lot to us. And as I alluded to earlier, Jason, that how you do multifamily is inherently very different than how you would do your single families. So the idea that, hey, you want to follow where the, there is a good population growth, the state is business friendly, you're seeing uh, like, you know, companies moving in, there is job growth and things like that. So all of that kind of leads you to 
look into states like Sunbelt states that we always talk about, whether it's Florida, Dallas, Carolinas, Tennessee, you know, let's say Arizona and things like that. So I think the map or the the states that are there, it's it's pretty evident, you know. Yeah. But how you niche yourself within that, whether you're going for like really class A or value add uh, multifamily or just, you know, sometimes folks will go chase like really cheap deals. And yeah. that also has its own misgivings and things like that. So where we like to niche um, Jason is that go in like great areas, like great sub markets and find you know, like proper value add deals that you can tangibly, you know, do some renovations and understand that, hey, I'm not depending on a market appreciation or anything. I just know that, hey, comp down the street is getting like whatever, 7,500 bucks more because their maybe kitchens are better or their just renovation style is much luxurious and things like that. So that's what we like value add deals in great sub markets that we don't have to depend on uh, market appreciation or anything, just do proper value add deals. Okay. I like it. Good stuff. All right. Now I'm curious to hear the simple marketing strategies and tactics that initially allowed you to get traction, getting new investors into multifamily. What, that, what worked for you? So Jason, I think authenticity and uh, just putting out what you're doing has really worked. Yep. You know, I think we are in a modern world, in my opinion, where you feel that someone is easily going to find out that, oh, you're just making it up or the PDF that you put together or the marketing plan that you have is really borrowed. But when you put your own record, your authenticity in front of people, and I always say this, that everyone is a human. We all make mistakes. Yes. So when you come come from that platform saying that, hey, I've made mistakes. I've done so many of these deals. Like, for example, I can go on and on about the hundred mistakes that I would have made. Yep. But when you come from that platform, people can relate that, oh, this is someone who's done it. And when they see it, they they can back up with sort of clear evidence of what you've done. So that's really the core that I always look for, that when you come from that platform, yeah. People will eventually get attracted to you that, oh, let me go check out Sakar's premium cash flow, you know, sort of portal, what they're doing and things like that. And yeah. that's the best way we have found. And of course, we can always do some other techniques where, you know, you're participating in conferences, networking with people and aligning with other, you know, sort of co-GPs to, you know, attract more audience to you and things like that. So there are you know, sort of offensive and defensive tactics you can do. Yep. But at the core of it is that if you approach from a sense of authenticity, honesty, integrity, and let your record speak for itself, I believe that that's really the best way to go about it. Yeah, I agree. I like it. I always tell people when it's with business or with networking, with marketing, just be yourself. Like it's okay to be human. It's okay to make mistakes because people pick up on it real quick, right? I hate sure. the same fake it till you make it. I hate that. It makes me like want to throw something because I don't agree. Like that's, that's not how I roll. I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do it. So where I'm at, I, where I'm at, you know? So I, I agree with you. I think that fake it till you make it type of, it, it really doesn't apply. I, I think, you know, especially in multifamily syndications, as we uh, all, you know, sort of uh, discuss, right? you're talking with real people, real operators. So yeah. when, like, for example, when we are sending our 
sort of property up, uh, updates or monthly reports and things like that. We are being very straight up front that, hey, we thought uh, we, this will happen, but it did not happen. And here is why. Or we had a problem with, you know, let's say these three units or people not paying or, you know, we having to evict more people than we anticipated in a business plan. People get that. But the flip side is that I think you don't tell the story properly or you're, you know, I guess, God forbid, you're not uh, like, you know, you're hiding something. I think that would be the worst. And it comes out like four months after. Yeah, I think letting your truth out and getting that initial buy-in and then letting people feel that, hey, this is what it feels to be running the deals. Yeah. Like we bought it at X percent, but now the bridge rates, like the interest rates are so high that we are paying more on the mortgage and things like that. So you have the rate cap as well. I'm just giving you some examples, but people understand all these things. And when they correlate, they can, oh, okay, we get it. Like these are real guys doing real deals, you know? <laughs> yep. I love it. Very good. So if you look back over your career, you said 23, 24 years, something in that range, what would you say the biggest mistake is you've made in marketing? Maybe something you did that was a waste of your time or something you didn't do altogether. See, the my story is interesting, Jason, where I think, I don't know how to say this, but I started when YouTube was not there, you yeah. know. I started way back in 99, 2000, and I was learning from guys like Carlton Sheets, Ron Legrand, and things like that. These are the names that people have never even heard of, uh, you know. I mean, I used to be an ardent Jim Rohn fan and things like that, right? So coming from that platform, I always feel that lack of knowledge or being sort of in that dark room of your own not having the vision or not having the knowledge is probably the biggest thing. And what that leads into, Jason, is that, and I'll, I'll come to your question, is that you're always like trying to open doors for yourself and, and illuminating or enlightening yourself. Yeah. And I did my business and I operated and bought so many properties, these hundreds of deals and things like that. And there was a, always a vision where we wanted to control our own part. And then when we started looking into bigger stuff, we, we then suddenly started realizing that, oh gosh, you know, I am a high net worth person. I can do be a key principal and a sponsor of the deals and things like that. Yep. So I feel that a lot more knowledge and obviously due to, let's say, YouTube, social media and things of that nature, the knowledge curve, the decision-making, the awareness has, all of that pace has multiplied in an exponential way. So in my opinion, given that putting it well ahead of the time before you need it is yep. really where someone should go. Like, for example, I can go back and always point out mistakes where, oh, I should have done email marketing. I should have put in lead pages, lead magnets, things like that. So some of those are classic mistakes, but at the same time, you have to know where you're going with some of that stuff, you know? That's good stuff, man. I tell you, the one thing I see, I see it all the time is people, with, especially like with the email marketing, marketing automation, they're always like, I'll do that later. That, that's my last resort. And mm -hmm. I learned this from my own mistakes in business, but that really should be the first thing you do, right? The foundation of your digital marketing is what happens after they join the list. Then you build the website, then you focus on traffic. And I try to do it in the other order. 
and didn't go well. My wife got really mad one day. She's like, hey, you work full time. You're working on this business full time. There's no money. Like, what what the hell's going on? When are we going to make money? And I, I couldn't answer the question. And I'm like, oh my God, what am I what am I doing? And I was like, I'm focused on the stuff that doesn't lead to money because I don't know what I'm selling and I don't know who I'm selling it to. So it caused me to really wake up and shake things up. But uh, yeah, that is a mistake I see all the time with people. People argue with me. Nope, I need to set up my Instagram before I run email. Okay, if you say so, but I don't agree. So great answer. I like that. Let me ask you this, a bit of a curveball. Can you share a story on your real estate investing journey that you haven't shared publicly before? It could be anything you want to. It could be funny. It could be anything that jumps out to you in your mind. Right. So I think I always like to come from a sense of people should learn from experiences. Yeah. Right. And I think there's a lot of things about what to do. And maybe I'll give you a tidbit about what not to do. Yeah. You know. So, for example, I bought, gosh, like close to a couple of hundred houses. We rehabbed so many deals and things like that. So the part that always sticks out with me is that buying the houses in the right areas. And that's the same principle I follow in multifamily as well, is that people live in neighborhoods first. Then you live in a house and then comes your interior, how great of, and and we all know that, hey, having a great house in a very bad neighborhood or a crime riddled neighborhood is not going to do anything. Yeah. So in my investing journey, I gravitated always towards, hey, buy a great house and, you know, go on a good street, go on good blocks, go far away and things like that, you know, as much, uh, I mean, even if it means you have to, pay a little bit more premium for those houses. And where I'm going with that is that I bought multiple houses, Jason, where I thought the street was great and things like that. And I was kind of betting on that sort of appreciation or, hey, this block's going to change or gentrification sort of wave that's going to come. And when you're in that investor mindset, I think you're a lot more motivated and excited that, oh, I can see that coming in six months, it's going to happen. But the reality is not like that. You know, the the city, the county, or the it, things take time. So I've been in cases where I bought houses, like the blocks are great, but there are like, you know, not good progress in a few other blocks. And then the neighborhood's going rough and things like that. So in other words, what I'm saying, Jason, is that sometimes as investors, we don't have to get ahead of ourselves. And that progress that I'm talking about is always slow and I always then found that oh my gosh why did I buy this house and you regret that after two years you know and that it's not turning out how I want to be and things like that it's not that I don't have a problem with the tenant or the house per se but things that I thought were not happening you know so I always gauge that so like coming back to multifamily and how people can learn out of it is that learn to evaluate the neighborhood first. You know, that's really the key of it. You can look at data and all sorts of stuff. You can see all that. But once you go to the neighborhood, pay very close attention to when you're driving through that neighborhood or you're coming to your asset and things like that. Watch very closely the last mile all around. You know, 
what sort of shops you have, the cars and things like that, that tells a story that yeah. why certain retail is like this. You know, you would see a P.F. Chang or modern, you know, Bass Pro shops and Home Depot or a Starbucks in a certain corner. But, you know, all those lotto lotteries and, you know, the 7-Elevens or all the crap, uh, like the cigar and the wine shops and all those uh, crummy uh, retail that you see, they'll be in a different neighborhood. So pay attention to that and keep it simple. Once you know that, hey, what you're dealing with, if your business plan is really to go into D houses and look for $500 rent, that's a different, uh, you know, business plan versus if you're trying to go in a great neighborhood, find a modest, you know, sort of an asset that you can turn around and jack up rents, maybe another 50 to 75 bucks. That's another different. So I think the devil is in those nuances. And through these stories, I always like to say that, man, I mean, neighborhood comes first. People live in houses or your apartments afterward, you know? That's great, man. Hope hope that helps. (laughs) Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. That is really good stuff. So, let me ask you this. If you were talking to a brand new capital raiser, just getting started, just getting into the game around marketing, what's the one piece of advice would you give them? Or is it what you just said? The way I try to tell, I mean, of course, I get a lot of leads. People ask me different things and stuff like that, you know? Yeah. For the capital raisers, the way I approach this, Jason, is that I tell people that when you're working on deals or working with a sponsor, I think get to understand their experience, what they're doing, what their transparency, integrity is, mm-hmm. because you're going to be in that deal with that sponsor for like, you know, let's say three to five years, seven years, yep. things like that. Yep. That's the best part. I like, like get into those conversations that, Hey, how do you do reporting? What, what's, you know, what things I have to do and what the business plan is for that asset and things like that. It's just not about capital raising. It's more about your long-term relation. And I always like to say that, hey, multiply your dominoes. We all know, like, once we die, how much money we make and how much money we carry to heaven. Everybody just carries $0 to the heaven. But the community that you surround yourself with in terms of the good you can do, how much help you can give, things like that, that's, that's the approach I come from. It's not about, hey you know, execute this software or be on active campaign, have these lead pages, lead magnet, things like that. Oh yes, those are tangible assets. Those are tactics that certainly we can talk about. You know, we can help implement those. But the idea that, hey, if it's a perfect marriage or a perfect partnership, know what you're getting into and understand that and then run from there. Because if there is a, and as you know, Jason, that if there is a mismatch, I don't think, you know, you can have great templates and everything like that, but the guy isn't just an a-hole. You're not going to get anywhere. <laughs> no, not at all. Yeah, it's a relationship business and, and relationships are uh, are everything. It makes a big difference. Yep, absolutely. I come from a platform of help and what I can give so yeah. that if I can make someone's life easier or better, I think it's a win-win for both of us. I mean, and and again, as I say, I may not know everything. Perhaps I may know someone who may know a thing that better than me. I can kind of just connect people through that way. And I have done that many a times too. 
Yeah, life has taught me I don't need to have all the answers, but if I know where to find them, that gives me a big advantage, you know? Absolutely, absolutely. I think resourcefulness is, is such a great trait. And as you rightfully said, Jason, that we don't know all the answers, yeah. but we do know enough people where we can say that, hey, I know few things about this, but here is like, for example, let's say in, in the automations world, you are great. I may refer you someone, hey, I know Jason. I mean, he's soup to nuts with marketing automations, everything that you need. Here you go. That's email uh, and phone number for Jason. That's a perfect way to make, make a match and let someone, you know, get wheels underneath them real quick. <laughs> Absolutely. All right. So we're recording this episode in February of 2023. As you look forward to the rest of this year, what are you most focused on your business as it continues to grow? So we are very focused on operations right now, Jason. Mm -hmm. uh, basically where the interest rates have gone and how the market has silenced you know, itself in a lot of different ways. I think now is a time where you have to focus on operations, making sure your properties are running great, your occupancies are great, you're achieving your business plans and things like that. And hopefully by three of this year we cool. will start to look into that hey what is it looking now because based on uh, as you rightfully said based on where we are right now i mean the fed's interest rate is almost you know close to five percent and you add in the spread you're looking at interest rates closer to seven percent in some cases i know folks have gotten interest rates as close to eight to ten percent depending on uh you know what their spreads wow. have been so uh, there's a lot of stress on the deals and the operators in general. Yep. So the idea is to just stay very close to your operations, be very communicative with your investors, let everything know to the lender that, hey, what's happening, what CapEx plans you're doing, things like that. If there are any alterations that you're doing, make sure you are communicative with the lender about that and things like that. So that's kind of our current focus. But the idea is that, hey, if the market is sort of stabilizing and, you know, finding its equilibrium, like let's say towards third quarter of, of uh, this year, mm -hmm. we will start to look at new deals as well. But as it stands today, I can affirmatively say that we are staying put. We are absolutely operating our properties as is, you know. Yep. And I keep hearing, that makes sense. I keep hearing people say like Q3, hopefully interest rates and, and spreads start to normalize more and that type of thing. I guess it can't stay where it's at forever, right? So it's got to get better at some point. It should, it should. I mean, based on the very recent talk in the last few weeks is that I think they've initially said that you will have two hikes this year, mm -hmm. but that is starting to change. You may see like third or even a fourth hike. Yep. The inflation is just not slowing down at all. So Fed is absolutely determined to keep bringing inflation down to 2%. So if it means they have to do more hikes, they will do that. And yep. they left that door open. So we still don't know exactly where the market's going to shake out. As you know, like with all the hikes that have happened, inflation hasn't yet really come down in a measurable way like i mean it's it's trickling down and then suddenly you see a job reports or, or core inflation that just goes again higher and it just throws all sorts of uncertainty again so that's where we are that we're kind of feeling it right now yeah. of what the market is doing and hopefully by q3 we'll 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 revisit and see if we can uh you know find more deals 
Gotcha. All right. If anybody watching or listening wants to get more info from you or learn more about what you are doing, how can they do so? Sure. So you can find us at premiumcashflow.com and premium cashflow is available pretty much on any social media in terms of Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, all of those channels we have the presence. I think those would be the best place to know what we are doing. If you want to send us an email, it, you can drop us an email at info, I-N-F-O at uh, premiumcashflow.com. We do have several guides and free material that we can also share with you. Love to help, as I said, any shape or form that I can. And if I cannot help, I will certainly put you in touch with someone who knows the answers. Awesome. Well, this has been great. Uh, Sakar, really appreciate your attendance and your attention and your knowledge. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much, Jason. I appreciate it. Yep, no problem. Thank you for listening to this episode of the show. I had a great time making it, and I hope you really enjoyed yourself listening to it. If you want to keep up with all things Real Estate Investor Marketing Stories podcast related, I encourage you strongly to go to reimarketingstories.com and signing up for our podcast newsletter. We will simply keep you up to date with what's going on with the show, new episodes, and things like that. reimarketingstories.com So hopefully today's episode and the other episodes that you'll listen to will remind you that as a real estate investor, everybody starts at the beginning, okay? Um, our guests today and the other guests that you will hear on this show will share their real story, right? They'll tell you what worked, what didn't work. And I want you to remember one thing if you remember nothing else today. It's possible for you to, okay? Never stop going and keep following your passion. Finally, today's show has been brought to you by CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. If you're an active capital raiser and you're ready to learn the three areas that are holding you back from raising more capital, I strongly suggest you check out CapitalRaisingAutomations.com. Check out our free 10-minute video there, and you let me know if it doesn't provide you value. I'm sure it will. All right, thanks again for listening to the show this week. Hope to see you next time. Take care.